Hey guys, Whew. what a day, student matinees, right? Anyway, hello and welcome to episode 7 of Exit the Stage Door. It is Catherine Rodriguez. Ah, oh, this was really cool. It was very, very fun to sit down with Catherine Rodriguez, who is at Latina Dramaturg on Twitter. You should follow her. She's great. Um... I lost my train of thought, which is ridiculous, because this is an opening. My point here is to introduce the person that you were about to talk to for the next 45 minutes. Unfortunately, I could only sit down with Catherine for 45 minutes, and not our usual leisurely hour, 15, hour 10, because uh, she had an obligation and I had an obligation, but it was an incredible 45 minutes. We got to talk about the really important things in life, like Troll 2 and the movie about Troll 2, called the best worst movie ever yeah we also talked about dramaturgy and what it means to be open and accessible to the theater and the other things that outreach means the important things actually some important things that she's involved with at uh, center stage where she is uh literary fellow i believe is the uh title uh what she's talking about in the article she's great it's a lot of fun um we've got uh i've got another episode coming out it's amazing to me that i actually have episodes in the can and we're gonna have a couple of like three recording sessions in the next couple of weeks we're guaranteed to get to that magic number 10 i'm so happy you stuck with us in the meantime uh enjoy my conversation with Catherine rodriguez life yeah. yes i have seen it's a wonderful life but my my christmas movie is all kinds of diehard so yeah yeah <laughs> that's amazing yeah, we are white Christmas, and I, I, I have a fond place in my heart mm. for Elf. Except uh, for, like, okay. the actual plot of Elf, which is really <laughs> shitty. I always forget it. I always, like, watch it, and then I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> not... But I love, I love Will Ferrell. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a, it's my, uh, my ex-roommates, um, they're, we only spent, we didn't spend too many Christmases together, but, but um, it was like two. Mm-hmm. I didn't live in very many places. I don't live in places for very long <laughs> right. at any one time. But uh, we had, our Christmas marathon always ended up being. It was such a weird clash because it was like my. It was Joe who I worked with and his girlfriend and then fiance uh, Melissa who was an actress. Yeah. Who I also worked with because this is all at the alley. Um, but we all like brought radically different. He's from Illinois. She's from yeah. East Texas. Right. I'm from all over the place. So or I brought no, wait, Die Hard. Wait, I actually want to know where you're from. Oh, I was born in Michigan, okay. but uh, I lived in Mount Pleasant, Sheboygan, Saginaw, a brief uh-huh. stint in Florida, a couple of years what? in Nebraska, a couple of years in Fort Collins, Colorado, <laughs> four more years in uh, Stewartstown, Pennsylvania. Okay. Then I went to school in Ohio, okay. Germany, Texas, Pittsburgh. Yeah. Worked in Houston, worked in New York briefly. That was a flame out. Uh, worked in Louisville, uh-huh. uh, then worked you here in You said it properly, so that's how I know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Where were you in Pittsburgh? Where'd you go to school? I went to the University of Pittsburgh. Okay, because I went to see him either, you know. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> right by each other. That's so funny. There's such yeah. a rivalry between the schools theatrically. It's, kind of it's hilarious. Yeah, it's yeah. Kind of funny. I was not actually in the theater department, I was in film studies. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I was in the theater department a lot. Right. I wasn't like officially matriculated right. with them or anything. When were you there? 2005 and 2006. I already had a master's degree, so okay. I. I Brushed Do you aside. know? I mean, I don't think you would, but Esther Joy. That name is not familiar. I was okay. with the class of like Chris Maxwell, Brendan Gallagher, um, James Wong, uh, 
Regina, whose name, oh, and Joe McGrenigan, okay. who went to Pitt yeah, 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 during yeah, that yeah, time yeah. period as well. Yep. And uh, his now wife, Lily, and that's the, so that's the, okay. that's the era. Club. Yeah, he might know, <laughs> actually, I don't know, that's it. <laughs> Where were we? We, oh, we were talking about Christmas yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah, sorry. No, no. That, die I, hard, die I hard. Absolutely Rabbit hole. It. Yes. <laughs> I brought, oh, speaking of which, AFI, Silver Spring is showing Die Hard 1 and 2, December 22nd, 23rd, and 24th, well, or something like that. There so that's go. fun. Um, that's the one I brought to the table. A new uh, family tradition. <laughs> <laughs> um... I forget what Joe brought to it, but we watch um, The Court Jester, mm-hmm. which isn't specifically mm-hmm. a Christmas mm-hmm. movie, but somehow ends up in our rotation. Right. Oh, Joe's was um, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. I've never seen this. It's it's a Muppets thing. Oh my goodness. It's really fun. Really good. I'm, Highly recommend it. I'm, I'm really into that. Is that the little band? It's a different. It's a different band. It's like a hoedown country band. So like, they're trying to put together the the movie is them trying to get like the jug and the upside down thing so they can pluck the bass so right. they can have the performance for right. it, which is supposed to be the reward for Emmett Otter's like mother or something like that. It's old timey. <laughs> it's really fun. Oh my goodness. And very cute. Yes. I love it. I want to watch it. Is it on Netflix? I think so. Oh my gosh. I think so. You know what's so funny? I was last night. So I got done with the play lab. Um, and I went home, and I, you know, after I eat, ate some um, questionable in age seafood, <laughs> it's like, I don't want to get sick. But if I get sick, hey. Um, no, but I'm fine. Uh, but I had some seafood, and then I just, like, sat there. And I was, like, listening to Bing Crosby and all of that. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, I just need to chill. Like, I could go hang out with people. I could go whatever. And I was just like, I just, I just really need to chill. And I really wanted to watch a holiday movie, but mm-hmm. I didn't know what to watch. So I Googled... I googled Netflix holiday movies, <laughs> and they're all like crappy, like whatever. So I'm glad to hear about this <laughs> Emmett Otters. Yeah, it's good. Family what? The what? The Emmett Otters Jug Band Christmas. Jug Band Christmas. Yeah. I'm really excited. Yeah, we had that on this. DVD and everything. <gasps> yeah. Oh my gosh. We were so 2007. Oh, DVDs. <laughs> no, I, I just bought a couple, actually. I bought um, Zoolander. <laughs> <laughs> and Troll Two, which are like I heard so Troll much two is about. So good. I haven't seen it yet, but yeah, it's so good. I have well, I have it on DVD. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're welcome to come watch it anytime. <laughs> I am such an like a, a Troll Two ambassador. Oh yeah, and yeah. Troll Two. I'm like a Trollvangelist, basically. <laughs> I mean, really, if you really want to talk about it. Well, I my friend Catherine introduced me. She's an aficionado of excellently bad, bad. films. Mm-hmm. Um. So she subjected me to the room. Oh yeah, which is on that level. Yep. Um, Definitely. It's good. I knew. Of, I never actually like Troll True is one of those Troll too. Excuse me, is one of those like best kept secrets kind of thing because oh, I'd never amazing. heard of it. But oh, until yeah. I'd seen that trailer oh, for best so worst movie ever. Yeah, yeah. Which is that's also actually a really good film. <sighs> yeah, look, yeah. It's fascinating. But you know story. about Troll too, right? Vaguely, only from the trailer. Okay, so okay, okay. Bring so it this on. Is yeah. Really, this yeah. is great. This is great. <laughs> so Troll Two is, is there a Troll One? Is I was just about to say, Troll Two is unrelated to Troll One. <laughs> they are completely different. Like the it was it's a guy it's a guy I think he's Italian and his wife who wrote and directed Troll Two mm-hmm. and they just picked the name Troll Two. I mean it's complete. They're <laughs> they're in plot in team in nothing no consideration for Troll One. Uh, there are also no trolls, no trolls in Troll Two, 
Um, they are goblins. Oh, interesting They're goblins. Twist. Interesting. It's not actually a twist. It's just a misnomer, <laughs> the title. Um, there are only goblins. And basically, without getting too much into it, um, it is a, uh, a movie about a family who does a foreign exchange, or an exchange, a house swap kind of thing. Oh, okay, yeah, And they yeah. go out into this country village called Nilbog, which is goblin spelt backwards, um, mm. and find themselves in this town of goblins. Um, and the goblins eat people, but the goblins are vegetarian, so in order to eat people, the goblins feed people chlorophyll to turn them into plants so that they can eat them. Wow. That's gloriously it's, indirect. It's so great, and it, the film is so homo- homoerotic, like so, <laughs> like unintentionally. It's, I mean, it is just so cheese balls, like amazing, great camp. And the thing that makes it such amazing, great camp, and why it's such a cult favorite, I think, is because there's just such a sincerity mm-hmm. and genuine. You can see these people are so trying, and mm. so that's what that's what the documentary is mm-hmm. about kind of tracking where they are now, how did they end up in this film? Like the, right. the, the film crew didn't speak any English. Wow. Any English. They were, <laughs> I think they were all Italian. So they're, you know, between cast and crew, like that dynamic and then like the, you know, the foreigners writing for American, like, you know, oh. teenagers <laughs> and the, te- the kids were like, we don't talk like this. And they're like, yes, you do too bad. Like, I mean, it is, <laughs> It's so so glorious, and the and the director is so um, still so believes that this is like the best film that has ever been wow filmed <laughs> or conceived of, um, but it's 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 a gem. Nice, yeah. that's awesome. You absolutely have to have that. that like it might be the best artists to know that their work is good yeah but you need to have the conviction that the work is good in order to do it at all right so it's always great like i don't know it it redeems the material a lot for me if someone i I could disagree with them about whether it's good or not but the fact that they believe it so firmly is great oh my gosh i mean so so firmly (laughs) in the in the case of troll 2 and it is great but it's it's great for other reasons Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) not what not what's intended probably yeah at all that's the my favorite part about the story around the room is the fact that Wazo is now trying to sell the idea that he made it that bad on purpose. Oh wow! Which I, didn't I know that mm, he's apparently like his his second career is hosting like midnight showings, like yeah. paid appearances and stuff like this that. This happens for Troll Two as well. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, the 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 dad, um, the guy who plays the dad is is a dentist. Oh, if he can right. like Mississippi or Alabama or something like that. And wow. I went. I went to a screening in, in oh, Chicago. Yeah? Oh yeah. yeah, I totally went to a screening oh. in Chicago. Dragged my best friend uh, in Chicago to go with me, and it was it was a glorious, <laughs> it was a glorious time because it was like this old like little movie theater that was you know kind of um, I guess I guess like the Charles or the Senator mm, would be yeah. our equivalent. Yeah. And it was like Halloween time. Was it the movie and, music box? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it was. Wow, good job. I think it was, and yeah, there was a screening, and it was all fans, and I, I can't remember if it was Troll 2 if, or if it were, um, or if it was uh, the best worst movie ever, mm-hmm. but uh, it was amazing. Dude was there, though. Dude was there, and it was awesome. So good. Uh, I don't do, th- I, I would love to do that more. I like, when I went to school in the University of Texas at, mm-hmm. at Austin, so I, w- I went as 
the draft house was like really blowing up. They were yeah. adding three or four different locations at once, but the core original draft house definitely had these like weird movie Wednesdays and host got got these people involved and got them to interact with the fans and it was it was fun. And the only one that I like I was kind of a movie snob and also didn't know as much about movies then as I do now. <laughs> right. I was like, whatever, I was like 22, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't necessarily, uh, aside, mm-hmm. life advice, don't necessarily go to grad school immediately after you're done with your undergrad. It's not necessarily a great idea. Yes, children, <laughs> listen to Aaron. Because <laughs> uh, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Right, right. Uh, fortunately, I wasn't entrusted with the care of teaching anyone so I didn't mess anyone's brain up too much who was <laughs> basically my age which is nice but uh, I saw Army of Darkness with mm. uh, Bruce mm-hmm. Campbell mm-hmm. introducing it mm-hmm. doing the flip on stage and all of that fun stuff mm-hmm. as well uh, it's just it's such an interesting experience the vibe of having that person really there yeah. with a with something that you either don't know anything about or you've already emotionally connected with right it's totally fascinating absolutely the whole culture of it I love it that's so cool and I, I like I also like Maybe it's just me as a dramaturg, but I do like the ability to, you know, have that dialogue, have that back and forth. Um, it's just a little, it's a bit of a tangent, but loosely related. But <clears throat> the Charles does something similar, right, where they have um, film screenings and then they'll invite somebody from the area to come give a talk okay. about something, you know, connected to it. Mm-hmm. So thematically or, you know, situating the film within its kind of, you know, canonical context That's awesome. or whatever. And I haven't I haven't checked any out yet. They happen I think I think they're kind of early and I think they're like free bagels or something <laughs> like that. It's like a series that yeah, they do. No, that's very which cool. Is, which is really, really cool. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. But that might just be my like inclination to have the pre and post show, you know, discussion. <laughs> like, let's talk about what we just saw. <laughs> oh, I, 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 it's interesting because, I mean, so my academic background is in mm-hmm. German cultural studies. Mm. So I haven't, you know, necessarily, I forget who I had this conversation with. It must have been with Rachel. Mm-hmm. I have this conversation a lot. I, 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 I haven't read what dramaturgs have read, but in terms of being trained in critical theory right. and ways of reading, right. it's very analogous. Yeah. And I have that exact same response. Like, I really want to step into something being having a, a sort of a guided tour of it like sometimes I obviously want my own just whatever my own response to it mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want that massage or guided mm-hmm. ahead of time mm-hmm. but that's it when I have expectations that I know that I reasonably set for a show right like you know Wallenstein yeah I read Wallenstein I've I read Schiller I know the period right I know the history behind the period so I kind of understand what liberties he was taking with history and dealing with that Mm. so I don't need a dramaturg to walk me through that but a lot of people did right I don't think people you you shouldn't go in cold to Friedrich Schiller's obscure work (laughs) uh guys (laughs) so or do and enjoy the ride (laughs) or I mean you know maybe also true um but then that's then the value of having it afterwards is like what the hell is that who's that what's going on and I love it yeah I think you know I think there are lots of different ways to, to frame these things um and some of them are, you know, sometimes to help digest. Mm-hmm. Like, let's talk about response. Let's talk about what the heck that was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, that's also the difference between the pre and the post show um, kind of discussion. Uh, at Center Stage, we do um, forwards and afterthoughts. And it happens four times for every production. Oh, that's uh, yeah, awesome. That's yeah. a lot. That's and it's, really and clutch. It's, it's the, the production dramaturg who leads them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we'll have a special guest or sometimes people from the community. What's great, too, is because it's known that 
you know, we have these kinds of discussions that sometimes people will reach out to us and say, hey, you know, um, I'd love to come in or, you know, we reach out too. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's interesting. Sometimes people from the community actually ping us saying, I would love to, you know, engage in this kind of way. But I think for the pre-show conversation, what's most helpful is the kind of context, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Here's where this you know, makes its home in the landscape of American theater. Mm-hmm. Here's what we were going for. Some kind of, you know, context, whether it's into the, the specific production choices, you know, without mm-hmm. trying to give too much away so mm-hmm. that people can still enjoy the ride. Um, but also, I think, you know, posing questions to think about yeah, um, mm-hmm. that aren't always the most obvious, um, you know, go-to things. So it's not plot questions, right. but, you yep. know... Um, how does this, uh, how does this portray, you know, such and such, or you know, think about the individual versus, you know, the, the collective family, whatever it is, you yeah, know, yeah, that kind of thing. And then for post show, um, I really enjoy having a dialogue rather than, you know, Gavin, Gavin Witt, um, our associate artistic director and um, the director of dramaturgy here. Uh, <laughs> says jokingly, but also seriously, seriously, uh, you've sat and listened for two hours and you know why sit and listen to me for 30 more right, minutes right. um so let's let's frame this as a dialogue and a discussion mm-hmm. um and i i love um i love that i love you know opening up usually with a little bit of context you know here's what's specific to our production here's some things to think about and then just diving right in mm-hmm. to you know whatever the audience wants to contribute and it will range so it can range so dramatically from night to night even though it's you know whatever the same show even though it's not the same movie even when you go to a movie your experience can differ you know differ based on the audience that's collected yeah. i mean it's so fascinating seeing the it's the same film so how much more can it vary when you have the variables of the actors on stage and that yeah. kind of liveness yeah. um which which is really exciting so i i love i love post show discussions and seeing what people want to talk about and then something that i always try to do at the end um as a kind of way to see what's in the audience zeitgeist, but it's also interesting for me as a dramaturg just to see what people, what's resonating um, emotionally uh, and, and tracking the pattern for that. I, I always try to end on the question of what sight or sound or word uh, or image will resonate with you or will you be thinking about beyond tonight? So. A week from now, what is it going to be that about this production that you just saw that, you know, is still with you? Mm-hmm. And I love hearing, you know, we do it popcorn style. People just say, and it's really fascinating to to hear the responses because sometimes it's a word that, you know, is just said in passing that oh that meant that meant that meant something to someone for, you know, who knows why? <laughs> but it's interesting to hear that kind of feedback too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's interesting because. Um, well, I, and actually, we'll get into it a little bit more yeah, yeah. here in a second. Um, but it, you, it's so necessary to inculcate a culture mm-hmm. in the audience to to f- so that that quality of the dialogue increases. Because right. you know, I mean, notoriously, actors are, are reluctant to participate in post-show discussions because they hate answering the question. So, how did you memorize all of those lines? Also, like, are you actually in love slash married? Right, that's a that's a common <laughs> one. Yep, yep. Gotta love those student matinees as yes. well. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> Which I understand the students asking those questions because sure, students, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but but uh, it, and center stage seems to have 
a level of dedication and resources to dramaturgy mm. that I have not encountered in mm -hmm. very many other theaters, which is to say almost none of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's very interesting. And, and what's, to dig deeper into that, what, mm -hmm. what is your position within Center Stage right now? Yeah, so right now I'm the Artistic and Dramaturgy Fellow, um, which means that I'm part of the artistic team, uh, and I'm also production dramaturg for uh, this season, Gavin and I have have an even split, so mm -hmm. he's doing three, I'm doing three as lead dramaturg, uh, and then for Marley, we're all hands on deck, and oh, Oscar Hughes yeah. is our is our dramaturg. Um, oh, yeah! Wow, <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 you know it's um it's it's a big thing, but you know I think you're I think you're really right in that, uh, and Gavin, you know you should get totally get him on this show, um, and Gavin could speak more to this because he has. You know, he's as the institutional dramaturg. He has um, more of the institutional narrative mm -hmm. and the the historical narrative too. So because he's been here for like what 10, 12, 13 years, something like that, um, he you know can really zoom out. And I can I can compare and contrast. And I you know was here last year, so I can I'm, I've been building my knowledge. <laughs> um, but I don't you know I don't have that kind of wealth of just accumulated experience that he has but I, I will say that you know from hearing him talk about it from what I've observed and from past experiences that yes that's absolutely right that center stage has a a, a great institutional um, dedication to dramaturgy and historically too that it that it's a, that it's actually a historical thing with this institution it's oh. not just you know um, and it doesn't live in Gavin or in right. me or whatever mm -hmm. that, you know, we're certainly a part of it. We're, we're you know, we've got the torch right now. We, we've been past the baton. Uh, but uh, that center stage has been dedicated to this kind of thing. And really thinking about, you know, dramaturgy is more than just the program notes, is more mm -hmm. than just the pre and post show, is more than just, you know, doing the rehearsal packet. That dramaturgy is, you know, um, part of the conversation when it comes to season planning obviously but mm -hmm. um you know w the blurbs even that we put out uh for marketing for invitations um you know for opening night mm -hmm. whatever uh for the you know guests uh for opening night um so for example I mean, and then you know this is just one example of like how to explode i guess dramaturgy is that uh, i was the production dramaturg for dance of the holy ghosts and for opening night um we wanted some entertainment, and um, I, I posed. Uh, well, it might be it might be really interesting to have um, blues musicians because this is a, a story. I should back up. Um, it requires just a little bit of explaining, but Marcus Gardley wrote it, and it's um, based a little bit on family experience, although it you know uh, is not exactly true to that. And it's a blues musician who moves from Monroe, Louisiana, uh, to California uh, during the, the the you know great migration um, mm -hmm. and uh, you know chasing his dream of the blues and kind of his family falls a little bit to the wayside because of that you know the family has some fractures because of it and so um, in thinking about this historical time period and this phenomenon of you know um, blues artists specifically black blues artists um, being forgotten to time or whatever the soundscape right um, of kind of you know trying to bring that into our audience mm. uh, and into the experience so that when you walked into the building, 
We had a blues musician um, playing blues standards on the first floor. We had um, in our chapel bar um, outside of where the, the, the show was, we had a, a blues musician playing, um, I think, Delta slash, okay, um, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> slash um, country blues. Mm-hmm. And then upstairs we had a, a, a female blues musician playing um, funk R&B Ooh, yeah. blues. Okay. So we had several musical stylings and invited patrons before the show to wander our space and to encounter these three different blues styles and then you know a, a couple of them stayed for the the post show um, for the after party and mm-hmm. played there but you know thinking about dramaturgy in, in the frame and um, you walk into the lobby today mm-hmm. um, something that we've been trying really um, you know to do is to to send the clear message that art lives here and then when you walk through the doors that's when the art starts mm-hmm. it's not when you sit down and the lights fade and I think that's it's inherently dramaturgical, is how things are framed, how you're cushioned, how you invite people in, what's the window that you give them into the world, how do you, you know, kind of prime. And it's not, it's not about saying, this is this. It's not about mm-hmm. defining things, because um, then that's a litmus test, right? Well, right. it wasn't that for me, so that's not what it was. Right. It was a failure. No, it's about inviting people into making... Um, allowing for receptiveness mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. giving people things to think on. And, and that is inherently dramaturgical when you're thinking of how do we orient people, mm-hmm. right? That was a monologue. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's awesome. That was a I, monologue. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, the, the first show that I ever like overhired, uh, full disclosure, I occasionally work for Center Stage as well um, yes. as a freelancer. Uh, the first show that I did here, though, was Amadeus, mm. just briefly part of it. Yeah. Uh, and that lobby setup was absolutely fascinating because it's not, it, the lobby setup was not just a presentation of, of objects. Right. There was an actor, or, right. and more than one actor. It was, it was actually our, um, our ensemble mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. who were part of the pre-show yeah. lobby experience, yeah. Which is great uh, because I, I, I love the way that you put that about about receptiveness and being put in a context and that art starts when you walk in the door. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. A lot of theaters don't don't consider the experience to the lights down mm-hmm. and it, as, as like organically and holistically as the show should dictate. Like, And I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons why other yeah. theaters don't do that, but not many do. And that's that's an interesting, it's a great, to me, it's great. Like, it, I, like, it makes my heart kind of sing a little <laughs> bit. Like, yes, I saw them setting up the Foley table because you're about to open. Right. Um, it's a Wonderful Life. A live, a live radio. radio play. Sorry, I <laughs> no, can't no. do it. No, you should say it because you're, you're <laughs> no, on you, the radio broadcast. You're gonna, we're going to give you some plugs here. So it's <laughs> <laughs> point here pretty soon because we don't have a whole lot of time oh today. Oh, my gosh. Because yeah, yeah. I know. Um, um, I have, have a place meetings. to be and she has a place to be. So <laughs> um, I'm, when, And actually, whether this was going to happen at all was right. sort of like kind of up oh in the air. Gosh. Yeah, thank is, you for your flexibility. Oh, Theater life, talk about it. Yeah, it's... <laughs> It's, uh, you never know. I often don't know from week to week what I'm going to be doing, right. let alone like a month ahead of time is ridiculous. And then sometimes it's even the next day. Well, I'd love to do that, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It can be hard. <laughs> yes. It can be hard. But jumping back to what you were saying about, you know, not a lot of theaters doing it. I think it's, I think it's a cultural thing. I mm. think it's kind of, um, I keep talking about context, I feel like a broken record, but kind of our U.S. context. And I think it's, mm. um, so much of it is a little, you know, is is going to the kind of Broadway model, where there's not really space to hang out, 
Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so a lot of theaters, regional theaters even, don't have lobby spaces that are that's very that true. are yeah. constructed for that. Um, which is why you know Steppenwolf is exploding. Mm-hmm. You know, they're 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 thinking on that, and and you know has a new building in the mix um, because their lobby was very very petite, and it you know had a bar and a bookshop, and it was and you know it was it's hard. Um, and center stage, we have a we have a, a spacious lobby. Yes. Um, so how do we activate that space? Mm-hmm. And I I brought up the cultural thing too, um, because when I was in Mexico, something that struck me, um, working you know briefly and on a project in Mexico, we went down and, and met with um, some of our collaborators. Uh, all of the theaters that I saw, whether it was the National Theater or teeny tiny whatever. All of them, this is so fascinating to me, but all of them were connected to a restaurant. And mm. I don't mean connected to a restaurant like they shared a door. I mean, and it's, it's part of the, just the architecture and landscape of you know Mexico City, but um, and Latin America, just really generally speaking. Um, but that you know, shops open to the street, right? So mm-hmm. you know, they just open up and ta- you have tables. There's like no wall there. <laughs> like the fourth wall is broken, but I'm bummed. Uh, and so because all of these theaters were connected like directly to, as in the lobby was also the restaurant, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that there, were, there was always something happening at the theater because the restaurants would stay open. So even if there wasn't a show, people were hanging out in the restaurant slash theater. Like mm-hmm. they were hanging out in the theater. And you would have the artist's you know, either currently working in projects or people who had worked with that theater before, and then, you know, patrons, audience members before or after the show, and just random passers-by who were eating at that restaurant. It was just such a lively, you know, even though it wasn't um, the aria singer, right, like from Amadeus that we had, it was people sitting there, you know, in the theater space and talking. And yes, you know, often the conversation would be about the performance or the art or whatever, but just to have, you know, people there uh, and to feel like this, the, the, the theater was open and welcoming and, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm not talking in binaries here. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that's not what we have here, that, right. you know, our theaters are cold and closed <laughs> and da, da, da. That's not what I'm saying at all. I want to be really clear about that. But it just struck me as like really fascinating that it was the rule rather than the exception yeah. that the lobby was always hustling and bustling and that you know the observation was that there was always a restaurant attached i don't know it just it you know not i'm not saying like <laughs> snap everybody open a restaurant in your theater you know <laughs> i don't think that's it at all but it was just really fascinating to to see like how the culture of you know the the late night out mm. um, oh yeah the mm-hmm. let's go to the restaurant let's see a little bit of theater let's you know let's just drink and smoke you know whatever until two in the morning I don't know. It was just interesting. Um, and, I, and I'm from New Orleans, too. So that kind of, you know, in and out, you know, um, culture on the streets, live, active, mm-hmm. uh, and everybody participating in it rather than, like, going to some place to appreciate it. Right, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's maybe part of my genetic makeup. And, again, not saying <laughs> that that is particular to any one place or that, you know, everywhere else lacks it. But it's just something that made me think, I guess, when mm-hmm. I was in Mexico. That's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. I, I obviously have, as a 
German. <laughs> I, have, I have no training in that in that uh, culture, which is so that's really interesting. Yeah, it was just it was just it was just an observation and yeah. something that was like, oh, I you know, huh? I wonder where that where it where it's located. Where does that live? Yeah, um, that kind of the theater is not just a destination, but a a place to hang and to you know to go and to to be seen. Yeah. you know, kind of in a way. Yeah. Um, I don't know, to see and be seen. It's interesting, too, because that touches on a little bit, as you mentioned, uh, the city itself, being mm-hmm. how embedded they are in the lifeblood of the city, which, which is what makes, I mean, the lobbies of Broadway show, houses, for example, may not be very big, but, like, Broadway is right there. Times right. Square, there's people constantly, people have just seen a bunch of stuff. That's the lobby. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, whatever, 48th Street. Uh, um I just pulled that number out, and that's totally wrong. Um, I did just <laughs> it's okay. See, I won't dramaturge yeah. you on that. <laughs> I did just see Birdman, though. Um, oh, okay, yeah, I've which heard is at the St. James. Oh my gosh, it's they took the city as a character. The theater, it's actually about a theatrical production. Yeah, and the theater itself is almost a character in it. So like we're we're floating backstage, and I nerded out about getting to see the light plot Absolutely. and stuff I like really that. I really want to see this movie it's, because it's I've heard only great things, mainly from dramaturgs actually and theater people. Yeah, it's been like all theater, and you know maybe that's just my circle, <laughs> <laughs> but I've heard really, really, really great things. Yeah, uh, I highly recommend it, especially yeah. as a theater nerd. Um, I loved it, absolutely loved it. Was not prepared for it to be as much about theater hmm. as it is. Mm. Um, mm, delicious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's much smarter than I was going to give it credit for. I don't really like Inuritu that much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was impressed with Twenty One Grams. Babel was not good, except for the deaf Japanese girl who's uh-huh. Rinko Kikuguchi. I can't remember her name. Uh, I think uh, she's in she's in a bunch of other stuff. She's in mm-hmm. Brothers Bloom, uh, mm-hmm. which is also excellent. Speaking of storytelling, any. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I was I was already kind of like okay. It's about a camera trick a little bit mm-hmm. about how it looks like it's not edited, kind of rope style. Mm-hmm. But I'll go see it. And then I was blown away by it. It's way warmer than his other movies, which are very cold and distant mm-hmm. and ob- like observational wall. Mm-hmm. You don't feel, you feel very much inside Michael mm. Keaton's head. It's really mm. cool. Uh, that was actually because I was wanted to talk about how interesting that is in New York City, how the the Times Square, it's not, obviously it's not true of every theater in New York City, especially right. the off-Broadway stuff that sure. is sort of more embedded in like the East no Village or whatever. No generalizations Right, exactly. Here. That's the, uh, <laughs> that's the drama target in both of us, right. the nuanced display yes, of yes. actual variety of real life um, mm-hmm. as, as, as far as possible for one person to conceptualize it. Um, right. uh, but like Houston is a different downtown entirely. Absolutely. And the alley isn't exactly downtown it is near this bustling sort of like wannabe theater district they wanted to make it a theater district the mm. ballet is there the Wortham Center is there the Houston Grand Opera is there mm-hmm. there's a concert hall there there's restaurants a park there's a another smaller venue that's like that hosts concerts but it's not a concert hall if that makes any sense it's more like mm-hmm. general admission kind of auditorium yeah, yeah. place where I saw Regina Spector play that was awesome cool. um, <laughs> but downtown dies after a certain mm. period of night and like mm-hmm. getting to that place yeah. becomes a dif- becomes difficult it becomes right. a ghost town right and dc for example doesn't have the thriving nightlife that it could because the metro stops at midnight right. on weekdays so like it comes a little bit more alive on the weekends but the the sort of like flow of the city make occasionally makes things difficult for 
the theater to be as embedded in the larger, larger gestalt of the city yeah. <laughs> than you would like it to be. So that's an, a kind of a flow that you kind of have to counter sometimes in, yeah. in what you do. Yeah, I think, I think you know, thinking about what neighborhood you're in, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, how do people get in and out? It's, it's not as simple as just, you know, how to get butts and seats, right? right? Like it's how, how to make sure that people feel invited. And sometimes part of that is considering what are the obstacles, mm. you know, to getting here? whether that's transportation, whether that's, you know, how, um, how the theater is viewed in the community, um, whether that's a positive or negative, or, you know, if, if it's seen as a luxury, how to make sure that the community feels invited. And outreach is such an important part of that. So, you know, not only the dramaturgy of, you know, what message gets, you know, put out there, but outreach. We have a fantastic... Uh, if I can just spotlight them for just a second, but a fantastic um, community programs and education department here that does a lot of, that does a lot of outreach. They go into the schools, they teach. Um, But beyond that, um, uh, you know, I know Roz, um, the head of it here, uh, does a lot of work within the community. And then um, when I, when I came, uh, I spoke with her and kind of, you know, expanded up upon something that Center Stage has had an institutional relationship with, this thing called EBLO, which is edu- Education-Based Latino Outreach, uh, which is an organization that does a lot of, um, you know, uh, programming for the Latino community in Baltimore, um, whether it's, you know, English as a second language classes or Spanish classes mm-hmm. or, you know, healthcare kind of things. Um, that Center Stage has had a relationship for about 10 years, and funnily enough, um, when I was briefly at Steppenwolf, my mentor, Jacob Padron, who was once a mentor, once upon a time at Center Stage, um, he, he started it. Oh, um, so oh. it's kind of, kind of cool uh, uh, in that way. Yeah. Um, but uh, Eblo has a, an Escuela Sabatina, which is a Saturday school for kids. Uh, and so, you know, I've been doing that with Josh Thomas, who's a, who's a fellow here as well um, in community programs and education. And we go out uh, every Saturday and, you know, work with the kids and it culminates in a performance. And then, you know, we also have, um, and they come and see the shows, the kids come and see the shows. So it's, we go to them and then we bring them here. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's right across the street is something called Weinberg housing and resource center. Um, and volunteering is, is is pretty important to me um so it took me it took me embarrassingly it took me a while um but I think about January of last year um so it took me about maybe like six months <laughs> uh but I went I went over there and I said you know I'd love to help some kind of way how can I help and they're like oh you can you know help serve food or do dishes or any of that and I was like oh I would love to you know it's just kind of hard with my work schedule to like come over at lunch and right here um and they're like well you know we also have people teach classes and da 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 I said oh that would be awesome so again with Josh um every so every other Friday we're at the the homeless shelter and we teach improv and then we bring yeah and then we bring um the homeless the the people that participate um in the class and it's it's a revolving door it's never the same people Mm Um, but a group probably, I think solidly, we have about 20 people every time come to center stage and see the, they see the shows for free. And I'm really excited because they were asking questions about, um, 
a, a couple weeks ago, what does rehearsal look like? What does an actor do? Da da da. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Kwame is directing, Kwame Kwearma, our artistic director at Center Stage, I should say, for context, <laughs> again, context, um, is directing One Night in Miami, and I'm production dramaturg, and so I, I broached the topic, you know, with Kwame, uh, would, you, would you be open to having um, guests at first rehearsal and he said yes let's let, let's bring them in or no I wouldn't mind yes bring them in <laughs> so I'm really excited um, that the group that we work with at Weinberg is going to be coming to center stage um, to see first rehearsal and then of course they'll come see the show so I think you know engaging in the community and 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 and, and putting it out there in a way not you know not in a showy like hey look at what we do but in in a way that makes you know makes um, evident that it is a, a you know a back and forth again this idea of dialogue mm-hmm. right um, within the community not just within these four walls mm-hmm. um, or across the fourth wall mm-hmm. uh, this metaphor I keep going back to um, is really really important to me not only as you know a human being and an artist but I think particularly as a dramaturg mm-hmm. um, it's 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 quite, um, quite, um, I don't know, it's exactly where I think my artistic soul kind of lives, Mm -hmm. um, and has a lot to do with my origin story, which we won't get into, but you know, no, I I know we don't, um, but you know, this idea of telling one's own story Mm -hmm. and what is, what is, what stories are being told and who gets to tell them and, and, you know, making sure that people feel invested um, and that they feel that they have been invested in Mm -hmm. uh, is part of my work as a dramaturg. Well, that's a a profound way to (laughs) end. Um, (laughs) Thank you uh, for your time. Thank uh, you. We have just enough time for you. Is there anything that you want to plug? Anything that's going on? Oh my gosh. I know your schedule is busy, so there must be lots of things going on. Yeah. Okay. So, well, by the time this airs, I think It's a Wonderful Life will already have been open and there will yes. still be like a week, I think, to catch it. Um, that seems so accurate, it's a, yeah. yeah. it's a Wonderful Life, uh, a live radio play here at Center Stage, which if you like radio, which I'm assuming you do, I would <laughs> if you're so. listening to this, um, is something really exciting to check out. Then we have One Night in Miami coming up after that. Um, what else do I have going on? I mean, I have various projects, you know, freelance, institutional. Um, oh, oh my gosh, the Dramaturgy Open Office Hours there Project. We go. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Uh, the Dramaturgy Open Office Hours Project, um, which I facilitate the Baltimore slash DC branch of it, and it's uh, also in New York City and Philadelphia. Um, we will have uh, sessions starting again in the spring, dates TBD, um, probably a little bit dependent on weather, also on schedules. Um, but uh, I would say probably around March mm-hmm. or April we'll start that back up again. And basically, just really quickly, what that is yeah. is two dramaturgs in each of those cities. Um, a, one of the dramaturgs who's the host, which is me here, um, and Jeremy Stoller and Amy Freeman in New York City and Philadelphia, respectively, uh, every Wednesday um, for three hours from 4 to 7 p.m., we and a guest dramaturg whom we invite sit in a coffee shop for three hours and just broadcast, you know, on Twitter, on Facebook, whatever, that, you know, D-lists, that we are here. Uh, And anyone is welcome to come and talk, you know, whether it's a playwright who's working on, uh, you know, 
an adaptation or someone working with a grant or someone who just wants to talk theater or not talk theater, just talk with, you know, theater professionals, whatever it is. I mean, we've had audience members stop by, you know, like, are you a table full of dramaturgs? Why, yes, we are. (laughs) How exciting. Um, You know, just to sit there for three hours and just just to be available. And we also um, tweet, uh, live tweet it um, with the hashtag open dramaturgy. Uh, and this kind of tweeting happens between the three cities, but also, you know, so that it's, it, it extends the reach so that we can participate in each other's conversations. But that also, like, if you're in Utah or if you're, you know, in New Orleans or whatever, you can also um, join in the discussion. Uh, and I think that's really important to me, if I can, just really quickly, uh, just like philosophically as a dramaturg, you know, if we are, um, if the criticism is also, all, you know, often, and I understand it, Um, you're the gatekeeper or you're in the way or you say no I don't think anybody gets into dramaturgy because they want to be that I think we're incredibly yes men um, or yes women uh, and however you identify Uh, and um, and and it comes from a spirit of saying yes and dramaturgs don't have work if you know we don't have other people um, because it is that that role of being in it but also keeping enough critical distance right so you inherently have to be like in it but also not um so it requires others it's a collaborative thing um and i think you know philosophically uh it is this idea of open access that anybody can join in the conversation that we're making ourselves available and then you know politically it's it's here's this thing and that's a small peep politically not a, a yeah, right. not an agenda right. politically but a small p politically that here we are um and no we do not you know we don't want to be gatekeepers actually so come you know talk to us um come make those connections and i've seen wonderful things happen from it um i mean from from uh, a playwright an early career playwright saying you know to the guest dramaturg you used to have this writer's program i was obsessed with it I didn't get accepted, da-da-da, you know, you don't have it anymore, uh, and it just so happens before that playwright walked in, the dramaturg and I were talking about how that theater was bringing the writer's program back, and that she was the selector, oh. so here was the playwright making the connection, mm-hmm. un- unbeknownst to her, and mm-hmm. we couldn't say anything at the time, <laughs> right. right, but like, wow, 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 awesome, you know, to... Um, of a young video editor talking to a dramaturg about, you know, storytelling in Mm. that medium. And the dramaturg was like, oh, my husband works in video. Let me put you guys in touch. You know, it's about, you know, bridging communities, bridging the gaps, having that open, again, dialogue, that conversation. And I think for me, too, I do it in D.C. and in Baltimore because we're so close to each other mm-hmm. and we, you know, borrow from people all the time. Like you're saying, you, you've you done overhire here at Center Stage, hashtag full disclosure. <laughs> uh, but, you know, bridging that gap so that we connect those two communities as well. So it's not just about, you know, talking to playwrights or talking to directors or whatever, anybody's welcome, but also putting those two um, communities more in direct conversation in a dramaturgical kind of way, and then also broadcasting that out um, across the U.S. And we've even had people join us from like London and Belfast and like whatever. It's pretty cool. So um, yeah, check out the Facebook page, the Open Dramaturgy Office Hours Project. Uh, and on Twitter, the hashtag is open dramaturgy. See you there. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
thank you for your time. Yeah, uh, thank you. It was you. great to meet you. Of uh, course, yes. I'm excited to rearrange uh, to arrange something again, Poss- yes. probably to rearrange it as well, but uh, for your origin <laughs> story and yeah, uh, to do all that, that, to have another conversation with you. Fantastic. Would be great. Oh, thank you so much, Aaron, for inviting me. And everybody, um, definitely check out, check out, keep listening. Uh, it's a fantastic podcast from what I can tell so far. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Yay!